Good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Please bow your heads and we'll pray together. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, again, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the freedom to serve you. And Lord, I ask now that, Lord, your spirit guides and that your words are spoken and not my own. I ask these things in your name. Amen. In 1888, so the same year that the, there was a lot of struggles going on within the Adventist church, um, you had A.T. Jones and Wagner bringing forward the, the motion of um, righteousness by faith. And um, so you had all this going on, but A.T. Jones himself stood before Congress also in 1888. The reason a Republican had put forward a motion that he wanted to make it nationwide, that, that everyone needed to go to church on Sunday and worship. And so now A.T. Jones stood before Congress addressing them and saying that that was unconstitutional that there was a separation of church and state, and that that just shouldn't be. And so he, he made his case, and a congressman looked at A.T. Jones, and he said, well, what if we, we changed it, and we said, well, everyone can worship on Saturday then? And he said, I would still say the same thing, that there needs to be that separation where the government stays out of how we worship. And he spoke words of wisdom there. Well, this Sabbath is one where we are thankful for and we are talking about religious liberties and what that means to us. Now, religious liberties is defined as freedom of religion or freedom of belief, and it's a principle that supports the freedom of an individual or community in public or private. So in other words, it's the idea that I can come to church on Sabbath and I can worship with you guys freely and then we've got people down the road that will worship tomorrow on Sunday and they can worship freely. And we've got, you know, there's Muslims and they can worship freely on um, Friday or whatever day. And so there's that idea of, of freedom and we're thankful for that. Now I must admit that the idea of religious freedom is probably something that I don't think a lot about. Having grown up in Canada, I guess it's just never really been a thought in my mind. You hear about things going on in the Middle East or you hear stories about China or Russia about the government stepping in and enforcing all sorts of rules on evangelism. You hear of people worshiping quietly in, in houses or basements with fear for their life in a lot of cases. And these stories are far off and they're, they're distant from my mind. I mean, I think about it, I pray for them, but I don't think I truly value what we have here in North America to be able to come and meet together and sit here without fear and worship together. And that is a great privilege and honor. Now this idea of religious liberty, I mean, we, we think of the United States and how it got its start based on uh, the fact that you had immigrants coming from Europe who were faced with religious persecution of sorts. There was the church and the state dictating worship agendas and such, and they came to the United States and it was a place of, of promise, a place of hope a place where they could worship the way that they wanted to. And they thanked God for that opportunity. But this idea of religious liberty, what does it mean to us here in Canada? Why is it important for us to understand what it is? And to understand it better, I think we need to, number one, kind of understand a little bit of the history. And we also need to understand the biblical interpretation of, of religious liberties. 
And then we'll make our point from there, our case. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. And now Moses has run away from Egypt at this point, and he's standing in the desert, and he's uh, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And suddenly he notices a sight. He notices a bush that is burning, yet it's not being consumed. And this causes him to pause and to wonder what on earth is going on. So as he approaches the bush, a voice from the bush instructs him, and of course we probably all know the story, instructs him, take off your shoes, because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. So Moses takes off his shoes. And God instructs Moses and says, I want you to go back to Egypt. Go back to the place that you've run away from. Go back. And Moses offers all sorts of excuses as to why he can't do it. And one of them, let's take a look at Exodus 3, verse 13 through 14. So Exodus 3, verses 13 through 14. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. I am who I am. So Moses had said, God, I don't know your name. I can't possibly go back. And God had said, I am that I am. Well, what is so significant about that? And what on earth does that have to do with religious liberty? Well, God's name translated means the everlasting one. The one who is, the ever-present one. So what God is essentially telling Moses is that he is God. Okay, that makes sense. And within the name, he defines the fact that he is freedom. He is freedom. He is not confined by time. He is the one that is ultimately free. So the God, who is ultimately free, asks Moses to do something. And what was it he had asked him to do? Let's go to uh, so chapter 3 and jumping back up to verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, being God, and this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship on this mountain. God wanted the people to worship. There was a problem. There was a problem. The people were in Egypt, they were in slavery, and they could not worship God the way that they were supposed to. And God was not okay with this. Let's take a look at Exodus 9. Exodus 9, verse 13. So Exodus 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go so that they may worship me. So that they may worship me. This was very important to God. The Israelites were not free to worship God in their own way. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh, and Moses announces freedom. And Pharaoh denies freedom. And this happens back and forth. And we see the plagues fall. And it takes ten plagues. And it takes Moses announcing freedom ten times. And it takes, and Pharaoh denies it. He says, no, not happening, not happening. He denies freedom over and over and over again. And finally, finally, they're free to go at the end of the ten plagues. Finally, 
They're free to go and they're free to worship God. Freedom has finally been achieved. So the Israelites get out of Egypt. And three months later, as they're in the desert, something happens. God calls them all together and he gives them something. He gives them the law. So, I mean, here God's people are free. They're free to worship God the way that they want to, and God gives them the law. Now, I know to a lot of, of, of young people, when you're, uh, especially in your teenage years, any rule or law that your parent enforces does not seem like freedom. Does it? Am I wrong? It seems horrible. It seems, why? Why is mom doing this? Why is dad doing this to me? And so here God has said, I want my people to be free. I want them to go, to, go and I want them to be able to worship me. And then he gives them ten rules. What is going on? What is going on? Now the Religious Liberties website defines it this way, and I'm going to read it directly because it's good. Now this is of interest. The Ten Commandments were not given to restrict people's freedom. On the contrary, it was given to allow people to remain within the realm of freedom. It is as if God is telling them, now you have been liberated, but if you want to remain free... One, do not have other gods before me. Why? Because I'm the God of freedom. Two, do not create graven images. That's below your dignity. You don't need to create your own God. That's below you. Three, do not take my name in vain. I cannot be confined. I cannot be manipulated. And then lastly, God gives them, well, not lastly, but fourth, he gives them the Sabbath. And within the Sabbath, first of all, is a remembrance of creation. It's a day where we can sit back and we can, we can, we're free from work for a day. For one day, we can remember who our creator is. And so that's in Exodus 20. Within Deuteronomy 5, God again reminds them that they're to worship him on the seventh day. But what's the reason given now? Because I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. So in Exodus 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments, he reminds them of creation. So it's a commemoration of creation and the freedom that we have in Christ, in God. And then in Deuteronomy 5, it's a commemoration of freedom. Remember that you were slaves. Remember that I took you out of Egypt and you are now free to worship me. Now within the Old Testament itself, there are many, many examples of God, God's people being in different situations where God is not okay with the situations that they're in and he calls them out so that they can be free to worship him again. For example, I think of Cyrus. Cyrus was put in place to liberate them from the Babylonians and such. But let's move on to the New Testament. Within the New Testament, we have someone emerge on the scene that promises to set people free as well. And it's interesting to note that Jesus' name, in both English and in Greek, It doesn't have a lot of meaning. But when you look at it in Hebrew, it has two two very important parts. The first being Yeho, which means the creator. And secondly, Yesha, which means to liberate. So within Jesus' name, it says that he will be the liberator. He's going to offer freedom. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So we have Jesus talking to a group of people. 
And he says in John 8, 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so they answered him and they said, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? What does this even mean? And Jesus in verse 36 says, So if the Son makes you free, that you will be free indeed. Well, this is interesting. So what on earth does this mean? That means that God, the great I Am, had sent his Son, Jesus, to be creator and to be liberator, to come to earth to do a few things for us. Number one, we know that he freed us from sin. We know for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were trapped and Christ set us free. Death was kind of our imminent, something that we had to look forward to or not so much. And yet, because of what Christ did, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He freed us from slavery to sin. The Apostle Paul many times mentions that we were slaves to sin, but Christ liberated us from that. More than that, he adopted us. So not only did he set us free, but he adopted us into his family. We're free from being discontent. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11b, For I have learned to be content in all things. That's pretty big. We have a spirit of well-being, which means that even though life may not be going exactly as I want it to go, I can still be content. I can still have that spirit of well-being. I can rest assured and have that peace that only Christ can offer. And God also gives us freedom to choose. God doesn't force any of us to follow him. He gives us the freedom of choice. And the list goes on and on. Christ has freed us from so much. Now, the Holy Spirit, what does it have to do with freedom? We've been studying the Holy Spirit in our lesson, so you should all be experts on the Holy Spirit by now, or close to. And I want you to turn with me to John 16. John chapter 16. And verse 11. Or sorry, 7. Verse 7. I was going to say this doesn't make sense. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that if I go away, for if I go away, the advocate will come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples were listening to Christ. I mean, here is their liberator, our liberator. And yet he's saying he has to go away. But it's to our advantage that he goes because he's going to be sending someone to us, the Holy Spirit. And John 14, verse 16 through 17, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because you, he abides with you and he will be in you. So the spirit of truth. Now Jesus had said that the truth will set you free. And the Holy Spirit points us back to who? It points us back to Christ. 
and Christ sets us free. So all members of the Godhead represent freedom. Freedom is at the very core of Christianity. If we say we worship God, then we must believe in freedom. Because freedom is guaranteed in Christ. So this topic of religious liberty is not only something that is important to us as Christians, but it is at the very heart of what we are as Christians. We serve a God who gives us freedom because he loves us. What about the world that we live in today, though? And I'm going to do this without trying to get political at all. I'm not going to talk about the states. (laughs) We'll just leave them alone. But what about the world that we live in here in Canada? I mean, we, we are thankful for, and we can celebrate the fact that we have religious freedom. I got to hear uh, Barry Buzzy lecture on Monday, and he was talking about this topic, so it worked out great because I was working on this sermon. And he was saying that in our society today, we have what they, I guess, are calling a bit of a rights war. Uh, we have the right to sit here and worship freely, but other people want rights to live the, day, the way that they want to live, and eventually those rights are starting to grind together a bit. There's equality inflation, rights inflation. And where does that leave us? Well, there's a revolution seeking to redefine what religious freedom is. And questions are being weighed in court specifically that say, how does my right affect your right? So if I have the right to live the way I want to live and you have the right to worship the way you want to live, how are those two rights going to affect each other? And these are questions that are being asked in our country today. One Harvard professor said in December of 2016, he says, no longer should we be needing to accommodate church's views. They lost, he argues. Deal with it. The war is over and we won. Stop tolerating religious institutions, he says. Why? Because we are being viewed as exclusive in an inclusive world. So some ideas that have come out of this are and I've seen this floating around in news articles and such, saying that, well, it's okay to be a Christian, it's okay to meet in your churches, it's okay to have your devotions at home, but when you leave your church and when you leave your home, leave your religion there. But of course, being a Christian, does that work for us? No, it doesn't work for us. Because being a Christian is something that should be all-encompassing. It's not just something we do once a week, but it, it becomes a central part of who we are. So what happens when we're living in a society where our religion might become offensive to the rights of others? And I suppose one question that we should ask is, what are they assuming about our religion that they find so offensive? And so maybe there needs to be more dialogue. If we serve a God who offers us freedom, my question, why? Why is Satan painting a picture that says religion is something that is oppressive and restrictive? Could it be because he has been condemned, that he's on death row, and he is mad? The Bible tells us that he has waged war with the church because he knows that his time is short. So where does that leave us then? Well, right now, we still have the right to worship. We still largely have religious liberty, and we thank God for that. We thank God for the lawyers who are defending our rights to worship. But let us use this time to reach out to a world that needs the freedom that can only be offered and given through Christ. Let's show them God's love. 
We live in a world that's all about rights, and yet as more and more people have rights, the suicide rates continue to climb. People need God. They need the freedom that can only be given through him. So we need to use this time to reach out to that world. Why should a Christian promote religious liberty? Because liberty and freedom is the core of who God is. In 1 John 4, verse 8, it says what God is, love. Love is freedom to choose. To choose for God or not to choose for God. It's our choice, and he left it up to us because he loves us. He could have easily just knocked Satan out of the way, and then we would have all just served him out of fear, but he gives us choice because he loves us, because he wants us to be free. But with love and freedom comes responsibility. We have a responsibility to accept the consequence of our choice, of course. And so as Christians, we promote religious liberty because we serve a God who has given us freedom in so many different areas of our lives. And there may come a time, and I'm sure that there will come a time soon, where we may not have religious liberty anymore. And I don't say that to scare anyone, because this is something that we should not be afraid of. We should not be afraid of it at all, because we serve a God who will one day liberate us from this world. This world is not our home. This is not our final resting place. In Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And then John the Revelator ends it by saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Like, come soon. And that's what we're waiting for now. We're waiting for that final liberation from this earth when Christ will ultimately set us free. So we serve a God who is the definition of freedom. It is inscribed within his name, the I Am. It is found within the law of God itself. It is inscribed within the name of Jesus as our liberator and creator. It is found within the spirit of truth, and the truth itself will set us free. If you think about Paul and Silas as they were in prison, chained together, they still were free because they were serving the God of freedom. God is love, and love is choice or the freedom to choose. Everything about God spells freedom. And for now, we thank God that we have that freedom to worship, to practice our beliefs. And we praise God for those who have dedicated their lives, the lawyers and such, the religious liberty, the guarantee that we can live and worship this way. But we look forward to the day when we will experience ultimate freedom from sin when Jesus comes again. God is indeed love. God is freedom. Amen.